What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Hey, Pat. New year. New you. New ads. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for new ads. It is time for new ads. We've had a wonderful year of sponsorship by our four wonderful people that carried us throughout the year. Truly, the sponsorship that comes from these guys, Jason Furman, Einza Wiener Dog Quip. <laughs> Jason was the first person to reach out, like episode one. Hey, I want to sponsor the show. We're yep. like, fuck off, mate. Then <laughs> <laughs> several months later, we're like, uh, we could do some of that money now, yep. Jason. So we apologize. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thank mm. you so much. Mm. But truly, where I get all my dog-related items mm-hmm. is Einswick Dog Quip. And amazing hoodies. Yeah. No, I do have a really good hoodie from Jason. Yeah, I've got a great hoodie from Jason yeah. as well. But I continue to get all my stuff. When I need dog training gear, Jason's my first point of call. Yep. I just bought a meal off him again. for Another meal? Yeah, for my sister. Yep. I'm going to do some little meal content. He is incredibly generous and very supportive to the industry. He is. And doing amazing work on his weight loss as well. So go, Jason. His problem, though, is doesn't ship to the US. Oh, what an absolute turd burglar. Step in. Macla Point. Macla Point. Oh, are you talking Mark with a C? Carkla Point? <laughs> Canine Dynamics. Yes. He's in Canada. Yeah. He's well, he does service the whole world, but just stay out of Jason territory, fucking Macla Point. Ooh, North America. Who do you reckon would win between them? Mark's a cop. He has a gun. Yep. Jason has guns. Yep. I don't know. It'd be an interesting battle. If we can organize it. Let's do an MMA match between Kakla Point and <laughs> Furman. <laughs> Not really. Love if them both. So if you're in North America and you want some dog gear, yep. Canon Dynamics, that's a place to get it. Yes, absolutely. Great range, really good website, very intuitive. It makes life so easy to order product. Yep. You know who else has been supporting the show for a long, long time? That would have to be the lady herself from Ashland, Virginia. Melanie the the train town. Yes, Melanie Benware. Yep. She does these little home school things. Yeah. And I think the reason that our listeners should be getting in contact with her is because they know someone mm. in Ashland, Virginia, that needs their dog homeschooled, or they want to learn about that kind of program themselves. And they, as a trainer, could book a session to get some time with Melanie Benware. And she's been busier than ever, which is great. Yeah. Hopefully, she's got some transactions from the canine paradigm. Yes, hopefully. Mm. You know where you could get. A killer Dutch Shepherd or German Shepherd? That would have to be the wonderful people, Patrick and Alicia Lockett from House Amberg. One and the same. Yep. That's them. If I were in Europe, and Europe's the place to get the dogs. Yep. If I were in Germany, that's where I'd go. But Mm. the good news is you don't have to be in Germany. They can ship all over the world. All over the world. Mm. You want yourself a sweet-ass Dutchie? Yep. Talk to them. Or a German Shepherd. I don't know why you'd want a German Shepherd, but if you do... Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Well, the best ones around will come from them. That's a sponsor killer in itself. (laughs) (laughs) No, really, those guys have supported the show for a long time. Jason from the start, Mark, Mel, and Patrick and Alicia at House Amberg, Shepherds. We really appreciate you guys supporting the show. And good quality people as well, good quality products. Moving forward on that, we only take those sponsorships from those guys because 
we know them, we trust them, we believe in them. Yep. Going forward into 2022, we know that some of you fucking fast forward these ads. Oof. Not everybody listens to the ads. Absolute disgusting. So we're thinking, we're not, nothing's set in stone, but we're thinking about changing the structure of the ads at the front to yep. give our sponsors better value and maybe just reading one each time and mm-hmm. then bringing more people into the rotation if that's something people are interested in doing. Yes. So stand by for information on that. So if you do want to be a 2022 sponsor and you're happy to continue with us, let us know. We'll be canvassing that shortly. But for those of you who have been supporting us, just like our wonderful listeners, we just want to thank you very, very much. Really appreciate everything you've contributed. All right. We love you. We do. Bye. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And it's the first one for the year. It is. Happy New Year. I know we said at the end of last session, but Happy New Year regardless. Yes. Happy New Year to everybody. How was your New Year's? Yeah, nothing exciting. Got got kids. (laughs) People ask me that every year. They say, how was your New Year? I said, same as last year and the year before and the year before. Like I just said, whatever I did 11 years ago, just rinse and repeat that. It's staying here looking after 260 animals yeah. and making sure that they don't freak out when the fireworks goes on. And let me tell you, man, this year was different with fireworks because there was a party just up the back of us. We're in like a semi-rural part of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Most of the properties around us are at acreage, you know, mm-hmm. five, 10 acre lots and so forth. So it's not a normal party scenario, but there was a banging party going at the back of us. Well, there's a few mansions around here. Yeah, there's a road at the back of us where... It's kind of like the wealthy retreat. Like an estate. Yes. Yeah, they're estates. Yeah. And it's like some of the wealthy people and the people live there. Like they obviously live there, but they're also homes where people from the east suburbs come out and, you know, it's their retreat, estate homes and so forth. So, yeah, there's some wealth around there. But one of them had a real banging party and I was kind of envious because the music was good and I'm thinking, (laughs) fuck, I should go and crash that motherfucker. (laughs) But at 12 o'clock, they ripped off a heap of fireworks. And I'm thinking, holy shit. And I did have one very firework-sensitive dog in there with prescription and owner acknowledgement. They medicated him. Yeah, He came in with medication. They medicated him about 6 o'clock. I crank up all the music, so we play peaceful classical music, which is through a dog's ear. It's proven Mm -hmm. to calm the dogs down. I went for a tour through the kennels regularly, as I do, when fireworks are banging off. And, mate, I'm telling you, there was probably only two little yappy dogs in the small dog section because we divide the dogs between small, medium, and large, so Mm -hmm. they stay with their own groups. And there was only probably two little yappy dogs down the end that were making a bit of noise. And the only reason that some of them barked was because they saw me and wanted to, you know, say Happy New Year. Oh, well, that's good. It was really good. Like, I was absolutely surprised. So I stayed up till about one. I was pretty tired by that stage. All the fireworks stopped banging and just the partying going and the dogs were calm and I was in bed and asleep. So all in all, it was pretty good. Mm -hmm. I used to a long, long, long time ago have a a really fireworks phobic dog. Mm -hmm. So our (laughs) our like New Year's thing was, uh, it was before I knew fuck all about dog training, right? Like I, I didn't, I could not fix it, but I could certainly make it better now but we used to put him in the crate, in the car, in the garage. Yep. And that was, he was fine in there. He couldn't hear it, couldn't fuck himself up. And I'd stay in the, like for the fireworks, I'd be in there with him and we'd just hang out in there. Yep. It was fine. That was our whole technique. Yeah. Now I would do a lot 
different stuff, but that's that's what we did back then. Yep. Well, fun times for me because every year that's my New Year's. Most years I just take a chair down there with a book and just sit down there. But uh, I've got the routine pretty good now. So, yeah. you know, I've had 11 years of practice with just making sure that I'm patrolling and making sure whoever needs to be medicated is medicated and yeah. keeping them nice and calm. And if it's warm, we just keep the fans on and yeah. keep it cool and keep them relaxed and comfortable and make sure they have plenty of play during the day. So by yeah. the time it's sleepy time, even when I'm walking around the kennels, I take a, a small torch and try not to make too much light so not to wake them up. I want them sleeping and I want them calm, mm-hmm. uh, especially now I've read that book, Why We Sleep and mm-hmm. the importance of sleep. I'm trying to make sure that the dogs in the kennels are really getting proper and- Yeah, they're powered down. Yeah, they're powered down. They're getting proper sedative sleep and they're getting restorative sleep, I should say. Yeah. We're doing everything we can to try and encourage that. And this year it, it went well. So it's good. happy days. You had a topic. The topic that I thought would be a good one for today, and even though earlier on in the history of the canine paradigm, we have talked about puppy raising and preparedness for puppies, it's a topic that still does come up quite a lot. And over the break, I've been talking with a lot of people who have been asking me, can I help them get prepared for a new puppy in their life? Because people are obviously thinking about getting puppies. They're always thinking about getting puppies. There's hundreds of thousands of people in our lives right around the world that are always thinking about getting a new puppy. And one of the questions was, before getting the pup, what should I do to prepare for the puppy? Mm-hmm. And that's a really good question. And it's a question that I think should be encouraged a lot more. It's probably a market that trainers need to look at at discussing with the general public because there is some preparedness and some advice that you could sit down with people. There is lots of it out there. Like, don't get me wrong. There is lots of YouTube clips and advice that I've seen and watched myself that I thought that's actually not bad. Mm. Given the time, if I can fish out some of them, I might chuck them on our discussion group anyway, because some of them are quite good, but it still is a very good topic to circulate around. You and I have always been part of ongoing education. I think that's a very sufficient part of let's forget dogs, let's just talk about career-wise in Mm -hmm. general. I think it's really something that somebody should invest in throughout their life or in the preparedness of getting a new pup. So without rambling on too much about it, one of the things that I definitely think people should do is learn how to understand what a marker is and get good timing on a marker. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I think that you and I have spoken about this before and I don't know your position on people understanding and even playing the marker game, but I like them to understand that a little bit. I think it's beneficial for them to understand it. Yes, I know that it translates differently to a dog and they've still got to learn to do it, like to translate. Oh, you mean like playing with other people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The human to human marker game where they actually learn from it. The reason I like people to learn the marker game is they get a better comprehension of what it's all about. Mm -hmm. We do it with every NDTF block. Every single one of them come through. And the one thing that they really do appreciate is error in timing. Mm -hmm. And that's one area where I really believe that when people play the game of learning, you know, like having somebody with a clicker and they become the student of learning how the clicker works and the relationship between markers, the frustration that I think you have, and I'm going to talk about the frustration that I have, is that human beings can be so impulsive, like they're looking in one direction, they've got a leg slipping out the other one and a hand going in all directions. So they overplay the whole game. Mm -hmm. Primarily when we have this discussion, we're sitting down, we're talking to any groups that are coming through. What we try and encourage them to do is simplify their behaviours, not be so extreme. Because I've had people come in and they just like to play the clown and 
you know, they're up in front of people and people are laughing and cheering at them because they're doing all these wild and stupid things. But that's not the point of it. I mean, I had one student that was so silly that they almost started doing head spins and everything on the ground, and it was just for the applause of the audience. Mm -hmm. And I said, as funny as that was, it's impractical. So this is not a tell-off. This is an educational point. Sure. But while you're doing that, you're missing the point of what you need to do for the animal. I said, yes, it's funny. Yes, everybody got entertained. Bravo. But you miss the point Mm. because dogs don't think like that. Chickens don't think like that. Parrots don't think like that. They're very simplistic in their approach. They're trying to learn to be efficient because they want the reward at the end of this, you know, and they're trying to work out how to do that. And I said, Derek, join the experience of this as we learn about how dopamine cycles up during the anticipation of getting the reward. We need to work out how to be efficient ourselves in this. And this is a part that I think would be really beneficial for pet owners to start learning if they're going to start learning to work with markers like Mm. clickers or even verbal cues and so forth, that they actually understand the relationship with them, how to do it. Because really, I think as I've matured in the development of training dogs, in ownership of dogs and so forth, I really believe that that is an essential part of having a relationship with a puppy. It's a far better way to start communicating with a puppy. And I really would love to see Probably schools of people learning how to understand what that relationship is before they get a pup. There's so much other prep work that you can do. Fields that we've discussed in and out of tempo in earlier dialogue, but I feel it is really in the preparedness of getting puppies. Do that and you're already in leagues ahead. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a lot to say about that and I can come at it from two directions. Before talking about raising puppies, just those shaping games, those Mm -hmm. marker games. I feel like sometimes they can be really overdone. Yeah, of course. And and I think that you quickly reach a point of diminishing return for the person playing the handler. Mm -hmm. So I totally, I agree hundred percent. There's a lot of value in doing them for teaching people about markers and how it works and capturing moments and that kind of stuff. But I think the utility of that expires pretty quickly. It does. But I think where the real value in that comes from is from playing the dog. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where people can really learn a lot. And it's not about how to do it, but it's about how to understand the perspective of the dog. Because exactly one of the things that, you know, we harp on all the time and I'm actually mid making a video on it is understanding the criteria of the behavior that you're trying to teach from the perspective of the dog. And I know Mm -hmm. we've talked about that on the show heaps of times where a lot of the times people The dog in his mind, when you ask the dog to do something and he doesn't do it, it's very possible in his mind that it is impossible to do given the minor change in circumstances that seems to you like it's totally possible, but to the dog, it's not, right? So for example, like right now, I've just taught my dog to spin. I needed to find a new behavior and, you know, because he knows a lot of stuff. So I had to figure out something that he didn't know. And I've actually never taught Remy to spin. So I've just really quickly taught him to do a spin in position and- He understands that right in front of me. And I know for sure if I send him to a marker board and give him that spin position, he won't do it Mm -hmm. because he like the criteria has always been like right in front of me. And the the way that I taught it, it starts from a known position. Yeah. So if I send him out to like the clack clack and have that 30 meters from me and tell him to spin, he won't know what to do. He'll be like, no, I can't do, he'll spin, but he'll come to me and he'll spin in front of me. Right. So that's how he understands the criteria. And I'm going to booby trap him to do that. I'm not going to put any pressure on him to show, but I'm going to demonstrate that that's what will happen. Right. 
And I think that playing the dog can really help you understand that. And I think that's where the utility comes from. So people can learn a bit about timing and understanding marker and all of that kind of stuff from being the handler and just getting their mechanics down with the clicker. How am I going to fucking hold this thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how am I going to hold it? How am I going to produce the treats? Where am I going to do all that kind of stuff? Because I think that's the sort of stuff that- Don't skip over that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's that's really important. That's the minor details that not too many people give such specific advice because it seems unimportant. And again, it's something we've talked about on the show. Like I used to, people would say, you know, I would say, hey, use a clicker and use any kind and hold it however you want. And then I would do like that whole exercise, which involves using a clicker, an e-collar, a slip leash, and holding the pipe that you're going to give to the dog. And yep. if you don't hold those in the exact – you've got two things in each hand. Yeah. If you don't hold them exactly the way that you need to, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. And that was when I was teaching it to someone, and I was always like, oh, you just hold it however you want. Who am I to fucking tell you how to hold those things? Like, you're, they're your hands. Pick them up however you want. They've been attached to you your whole fucking life, not me. Mm. And then I'm watching them drop shit all over the place, and I was like, oh, no, you have to hold it. In this it's thing. like juggling. It's like yeah. learning to juggle. You've got to – Learn the tempo yeah. of how to get you, everything. In you have to hold it in this exact way. Let Go me ahead. just jump in there for a second in talking about the coordination of a handler working. One of the areas that I coach all the students on that I work with is pouch creeping. Yeah. They pre-cue the dog before the clicker happens. So the hand might as well become the clicker because they creep for the pouch and the dog stops what it's doing and looks at the pouch. I know that people can't see me doing the whole yeah. thing that I just did then. <laughs> But it's a, it's if a, we had the video show going, the, yeah, I could make that a clip. Exactly. Yeah. But it's a really big thing in coordination of learning how to be an efficient handler mm. or effective and efficient. You know, like I think those two phrases need to be teamed up together because really when I see people doing that, like I'll, I'll say to them, uh-uh, don't creep the hand, you mm-hmm. just leave it by your side. Or the only thing that you need to do is activate the clicker as soon as the dog is replicating the behavior that you're trying to go for. Mm-hmm. That's hard for people to learn because they start moving, they start pacing. There's a lot of activity. They sway, they do a whole bunch of things. And it's like a like a fighter learning a tell of another fighter, you know, like how they start yeah. popping their shoulder 100%. forward or anything like that. Those things I think are essential in that bracket of learning to coordinate, learning to time. Yeah. And I think one of the things I find myself saying to people is, your dog is a dog, not a wolf, because he learned how to read your body language. Exactly. Like, yeah. Dogs are masters at reading human body language. We think that the wolves that were on the peripheries of human settlements that could read human body language and knew when they were safe versus in danger became the dogs. Mm. And the evidence for that is there's probably no more hunted creature on the fucking planet than a wolf. They're hunted to nearly extinction all over the fucking planet. And dogs are in our homes getting fat on our couches, right? So, like, it's a pretty good deal that they made. Mm. It was certainly in their advantage to learn to read human body language or, you know, not learned it, but genetically, if they were predisposed to being able to do it, it was a very effective selective pressure for a better life, right? Or, you know, arguably a better life. And I think to your comment there, I think, again, that can have two strong outcomes is that often when people are telegraphing their intent for the reinforcement, right? So they've got their hand on the pouch Mm. or they're holding the ball in a certain way or whatever it is. They're often then when that is absent, the dog no longer does the behavior that they're asking for. And for the most part, we say that that's because he knows you don't have the reinforcer and people say, oh, he'll only do it if I have the treat or whatever. And that could be true, for sure that could be true. But I think I would also argue a strong case that the criteria of the command involves that posture. Mm. If you have your hand on your treat pouch and you tell the dog to sit, the dog goes, yep, I know you will pay me. 
because I see the treats, I see that you're about to get them out and I'll do the work in order to earn those. Now, absent those, the dog could still think, hey, I'll do it if you tell me to, but a criteria of his understanding of the command is your posture because what you do is way more important to a dog than what you say. Mm. What he can read in your body language is much more important to him than the fucking noises that come out of your face, right? So if you don't provide the cue of my hand on the pouch, then the dog's like, yeah, that's, I hear you saying sit, but that's not what's important to me. Like I never even really picked up that that's what you wanted. It's when you put your body in a particular way, that's when I know to do what you're asking. Mm. And we see that all the time when you put people in a blind or something like that. That's why most sports have a test where the, the handler has to be out of sight of the dog and give commands. Or so turn that, your back to the dog and give yeah, commands. Yeah, mm. something along those lines mm. where we go, hey, we have to remove the body language component and make sure the dog actually understands the commands. And they always have, most sports have some level of, test to see that you've actually done that and you see it as well when people are nervous and their posture changes or they do something erratic because the circumstances you know change for them Mm. and you know you see it at trials all the time (laughs) we've seen it here like people who heal in like a cool guy swagger and then they're nervous they enter the field and they've got like a fucking pole up their ass (laughs) because they've suddenly got the back straight and they're walking weird and the dog it's not that the dog isn't healing on command it's that they're not giving the heal command Mm. because the dog looks at him and goes that's not what healing looks like to me man yeah like that's right you, you can say it as many times as you fucking want but you're not doing it so therefore i can't do it because from the dog's perspective healing is you walking a particular way and him walking a particular way next to you mm-hmm. right and so you know of course you have to generalize that because in a lot of games you know say in mondio psa nbbk french ring you're gonna get circumstances where the decoys or the judge are going to tell you to do peculiar things go yeah, over there skip and run yeah, or and go over there pick and, that up and yeah. sweep up that part of the field yeah. and the dog has to know to stay in position no matter what you do so mm. like we're meant to train these things away it's not like you just have to go oh they're the handcuffs that are on me and i my yeah, dog it's will- part of the it's part of the teaching learning phase yeah like originally when you're learning to do all these things like i'm talking about telling new students not to put their hand on their pouch that's a teaching learning phase totally. exercise because when you get to proofing phase, you should be flapping that pouch around like crazy, you yeah. know, like clicking your fingers, jumping around, doing all sorts of things. None of that should activate the dog because none of it has the relationship or it's not the marker that you're instilled in the dog. Exactly. None of it is. Teaching learning phase have to be totally different than what the end result looks like. Yeah. But you do have to be clean and clinical at the start because all of these things start to compete for the dog's attention. If they start learning the wrong cues off you, Unfortunately, you know, like when we've talked about in earlier episodes, the unfavorable event of teaching a superstitious behavior, that can correlate into a superstitious behavior, totally. which is something that you want to drywall, well, not drywall, something that you want to prevent as much as you possibly can in order to make it as clean as possible. And therefore you can scoot through to the end into your proofing phase and have every conceivable stimuli present. And the dog just looks at it and goes, yeah, that's not related. So I don't even have to worry about that yeah. until you go click or yes mm-hmm. totally so back to puppies yep i think one of the things for people getting a new puppy especially if it's your first puppy in a long time which is often the case you know like if your last dog has gotten old it's, you know for most people it's 10 years between new dogs so i think you can forget how hard it can be to have puppies a lot oh, yeah. of people forget that it's 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 a real fuck around it is it never 
ceases to amaze me how many times even I forget yeah. how hard it is to have a puppy. The routines are all changing. Yeah. You have to block your furniture again because they're basically just an uncontrollable chainsaw. Yeah. And and figuring that stuff out prior to getting it is important. And I think that, you know, like some of the best clients I've ever had and they've ended up with really good dogs, like really perfect you know, for what they wanted, provided mm. the genetics of the dog is capable of the outcome that they wanted. But are people who've got in contact with me prior to even getting the dog. Yep. And I've only had a handful of those in my whole career, but for the most part, it's people who reach out and say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting a dog or, you know, we've organized, we've put a deposit, we've done whatever. Can you come to our house and show us what we should do so that we can hit the ground running? And I'm like, Oh my God, I love you. You're the best clients exactly. ever. Exactly. Like yeah. you are the dream client. You are the best. Yep. And you don't make any, well, in my experience, you don't make a lot of money out of those people because they don't need a lot of help. It's front end. You go, like here's two or three lessons, right? We I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to say this is where your crate should be. You know, I don't get overly prescriptive, but when I say to people, you're going to crate train the dog. Where would you put the crate? Okay, well we have space here. So well, now he's going to see traffic, like people coming past all yep. the time. Maybe and now you know if it's a far from your door. Now, when you let him out of the crate, there's, you're going to have to carry him. There's, there's instances of like, there's a lot of room for things to go wrong between the, the crate here and there, and he could shit in the house and you know, all those little things. So you say, Hey, is it possible to put it here? Just little expert things from people who have mm. raised the dog, had many, many puppies, raised plenty of dogs that those are one percenters. you set them up. Then you sort of go, hey, when you bring the dog home, you know, teach them about critical period socialization. You just had the conversation about this kind of stuff. Those are the people that end up with their dream dog of what they wanted and you don't hear too much from them, Mm. right? It's like, no, you see them them around two years later or they refer you to someone two years later and you say, hey, how'd that dog turn out? Fucking great. Like he turned out perfect because people have been raising dogs forever. They don't need experts to do it. For the most part, if we can give them the good advice prior to getting it, we needn't talk to people too much so until something goes wrong in their life. Like for the mo- like, you know, pet dog training is for the most part fixing problems. Mm. And if we can be getting at the front end and avoid those problems ever happening, we make less money, but we end up with a lot more better dogs. And the type of work that we do is I think for me was in the past much more fulfilling. Mm. Like I having to turn up and, you know, people, their dogs putting relationship stress on them. They now resent ever having gotten the dog. One person's obsessed with the dog and everybody else fucking hates it. You know, all those problems that yep. you've seen. Yep. If you can avoid all that and just go like, hey, no, set up from start. Here we go. Good to go. This is what you need to do from the jump. They'll call you once or twice and, you know, you don't get paid for that. They call and just say, hey, this is the issue. Oh, do this. Oh, sweet. Got it. And you mm-hmm. got that relationship with the people. You're setting them up for maximum success throughout the whole dog's life, I think, anyway. A lot of what you said there really resonates with me. Like if you're looking at it from a an ongoing client perspective, you could think, oh, I could be doing myself out of money here because especially in the pet dog market, a lot of trainers, and I know people are going to listen to this and really start fizzing the minute I say it, but you're kind of relying on dogs to be problems so you could keep getting the calls. But there's no shortage of them. That's right. That's <laughs> right. No- Let, yes, Absolutely. Because we do say it when we're together in groups, you know, I really wish this person contacted me when this dog was a puppy and I could have got in earlier. Well, this is where you really like your message needs to extend into the population because, I mean, honestly, if you're ethical and your heart really is in the right place, honestly, you really do want to be there to do that pre-puppy planning as best as you possibly can in the start so you can set this relationship up right. Sometimes it's a genetic component. There's nothing we can do about the genetic side of it. But if we can 
show puppies how to deal with loud noises, fireworks, thunderstorms, all those sort of things. If we can be part of that with breeders, even with breeders, because let me tell you, there's a lot of breeders out there. There's some amazing breeders and a myriad of them as well. But there's a lot of breeders out there who have just decided to snap their fingers like Thanos and just expect that everything is just going to work out for them. Sometimes they get lucky and many times they do not. And unfortunately, they just then create a pool of puppies that are out there that have a lot of environmental issues because they're not addressing those critical periods of socialization and preparation that we often talk about on the show. I think if I look back upon over 200 episodes that we've done now, I think probably every third episode we've probably said a catch piece on the importance of that. Yeah. It really is essential. It's something that we really do endeavor to try and get that message out there as much as possible. One thing that really has frustrated me over being in this industry now for like over 30 years myself is I always thought that this would just be like an explosion. It would be literally be like the COVID virus. It would spread everywhere. Since the conception of the internet, people would get it. I am absolutely dumbstruck how many people still don't know about this. What specifically? What do you mean? The critical period of development okay, yeah. or, or the critical periods of socialization, etc. Mm-hmm. So there are still so many people that I meet that have never heard anything about it before. Well, let me tell you a story. So I recently gave some unsolicited advice. Yeah. <laughs> was basically told to go fuck myself. Right. You know, dog trainers at social events are always talking about how, you know, they get hit up for advice all the time and blah, blah, blah. Yep. So anyway- I'm at a social event. I'm talking to these people who were getting a puppy and they didn't know I was a dog trainer. They were telling me about it. And I was like, oh, here's my time to shine. (laughs) It was like, started trying to like, oh, you know, these are some things that you could do. That was sort of talking generally about how they hadn't raised a puppy and they were, you know, sort of going to figure it out. I started giving some advice and one of them just basically was like, fuck off, mate. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And I was like, oh, but I do. I'm a dog trainer. And they were like, yeah, good for you. It's raising a puppy. How fucking hard could that be? And I was like, oh, yeah, but was trying to explain it to them. And they called me out and they were quite right. I mean, I should have just gone like, okay, cool, whatever. Fuck up your dog. I don't care. All right. But I did care. And I was like, oh, no, like uh, this is the case. And it was critical period socialization I was trying to explain. And I've got this whole spiel about it, right? Like I've given that same spiel plenty of times on this show and Mm. private lessons. And I've got this whole thing to make it really clear so people understand they can do the right thing by the puppy. And they were just like, yeah, fucking beat it. And I was like, okay, but you know, people usually pay me for this advice. Like, and I was trying to push it on them and they were just like, fuck off mate. And (laughs) I was like, "Uh, okay. That's why I try not to get into the whole puppy dog trainer at parties. I really, I really try and avoid it these days because it just gets messy. Yeah. So do I, but for the most part, like I care about dogs Me too. and I was like, oh, I can, what you're saying is got disaster written all yep. over it. And like, I have the opportunity to intervene here and they just didn't want to hear it. And one of them in particular was really fucking rude to me. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, and I said to Jane afterwards, I was like, am I the asshole here? Like what happened there? And she's like, they didn't want your opinion. So don't give your fucking opinion. People don't want it. And mm. I was like, no, but people want my opinion, Jane. Like I, <laughs> I know stuff about dogs. She's like, yes. Thousands of other people around the world want your opinion. They don't. Mm. And I was like, but it's because they don't know that it's an important opinion. She's like, they don't care. Stop trying to fucking force feed people your dog training advice. And I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. So you basically became the person who knocked on their door and said, let me tell you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, 
you know, what can I do here? Like, I've tried to give you that advice. You're not interested in hearing it. And yeah, it was really over that they, the vet had said, the breeder actually had said, don't let the dog out until it's 16 weeks. And I was like, that's not good advice. Mm. And I was like, you know, in this area, that's a sliding scale. Everybody's got to, you got to do the assessment on where you are and your risks and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, but here in this area, there's very little risk Mm. of of pathogens. There's very high risk of lack of socialization causing behavioral problems. And there's very little risk of pathogens killing your dog. They both exist, but it's a sliding scale. If we were in a different area, that could be a totally different thing. We could we could say, no, like, do not take that dog out, right? Like, that that really varies, that advice. But, it, you know, I was like, well, here we are. Anyway, didn't want to hear it. Mm. <laughs> so that's why people don't know about it, right? That's why it's not commonplace in the home is people just don't want to hear it. As mystified as I am about the fact that people don't know about that critical period of development, I also kind of get it. I wasn't having a jab at religion before. I am somewhat religious myself, but I don't believe myself in running around trying to inject that into other people's lives. Yeah. Like if you want it, then you'll seek out somebody and you'll say, I'm interested, can you teach me? And I think that's the best way to do it because I think being force-fed something, we were talking about the pandemic before, and I think a lot of the issue around that is being the absolute encroaching way that it's been forced on people and the same thing happens with religion and the same thing happens with dog training yeah you know there's a lot of ways that when you try and push it into people's faces some people will take it up and other people will reject it they'll yeah. just look at it and go no nah, no nah, i don't want this rhetoric just slammed down on me it's something that they really need to get into a seeking mode of yeah because I was very evangelical in my early days as a dog trainer. Like I wanted everybody to know this is a reason why I struggle with obsession because I could see how alienating it was for me because everywhere I went, it was, I'm Glenn the dog trainer and you need to know about the good word of the dog training Bible. Yeah. I could see that it was pushing me away from people, people I was trying to build a relationship with. Instead of having an inclusive relationship, I had a repelling relationship with people. And it wasn't until I learned that, all I needed to do was let them know that I was a trainer and then wait for them to seek the advice. Some people might say, well, that's not what you're doing on this show, dude. It's like you're you're doing that. But we are because people want to find this show. Yeah, you, you, know, you can choose even though, to listen to this. You can turn right. it off at any Exactly minute. right. Yeah. So anybody who finds this show wants to listen to it because it's called the canine paradigm. It's not called how to make a successful life in Bitcoin. And then they listen to it and go, oh, you duped me. It's about dog training, you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the kind of thing that happened early on in my career. You know, like I was really forceful and really intense about it. I just needed people to know the good word because I was so – empowered with it at the yeah. time. I was so excited about what I'd learned and how beneficial it was and how it was benefiting me and the people that were involved in training. And I really wanted people to know that. I think for the most part, you want good for others. Yes. And yes. Yeah. That's the point. If through what you know has moved the needle a lot for you, you think it's going to move the needle a lot for others. That's a but good they might, point. they might already be pretty far along. Mm. And I know we've used this example before on the show. Like you get this with CrossFitters, right? So people like take up CrossFit and they're like, you got to do CrossFit, bro. You got to do it. And it's that they've never done any kind of working out before. And And they feel great. Their body feels better. They're in a community. They're doing all these things that they like. CrossFit especially is interesting because of the dopamine spike that comes from time workouts and that kind of stuff. So it's like, it feels really good. And they're like, dude, you got to do CrossFit. And I'm like, fuck off. I've been working out my whole life. You know what kind I like to do? I like to go down to my garage, pretend kettlebells are my enemy and throw them as far as I fucking can. Right. Like, and that makes me feel good. 
So you can't move the needle far for me because I'm, I'm a long way in. Mm. It's the same with vegans, right? And so vegans often come from really unhealthy lifestyles and then they go vegan, they feel great. And so they're like, dude, you have to have this. And it's like, no, I eat a really balanced diet as it is. Like yeah. that, that going vegan isn't going to have the same effect for me. And you see that with religion as well. People who are like having this terrible life, they find Jesus, everything goes fucking great for them. And they come to you and they're like, dude, you got to find Jesus. And it's like, fuck off, I'm pagan. Like I'm already deeply religious, but it's a different religion. Mm. So like, I'm good. I have the same benefits you have. I've just got different made up gods, right? And so the same with dog training, when people are fucked and their life has gone shit because their dog has fucking ruined it, when we rock up and we're like, ta-da, I'm here to save the fucking day, they look at us and they go, holy shit, you moved the needle a long way. Mm. But for most people whose dogs are just kicking along and they're having a good time of it and it's all fine, when we're like, no, you need to listen, <laughs> they're like, fuck off. Yeah. I'm doing fine. Mm. Everything's good. Yep. I don't need your bullshit. Mm. So I think that's probably what happens with us and that's why I had to take a step back and go, oh, God. I'm that guy. Yep. I'm the vegan crossfitter telling people how good they can have it. And they're like, we have it good already. Yeah. Stop trying to change us. Yes, it took a little bit of time for me to digest that medicine a little more easy and, and be at peace with it. I used to be the guy at parties who would be sitting there with people saying, you know, like you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But after a period of time, I found that either A, it would paint me into a, into a wall and I'd never get to talk to anybody else or B, that people would just be rolling their eyes going, ah. Oh, here comes the fucking Avon Tupperware guy like going <laughs> to sell the good word on dog training and tell us poor schleps how we're doing it wrong. Yeah. So what you do is you, you spend three years building a podcast to the point where people will listen to you and then you can give your unsolicited advice exactly. like we're doing right now. <laughs> you, you build an audience and then you're like, all right, everyone gather around. I got some shit to tell you about puppies. Yeah. Oh, dear. But it's all suggestion. You can choose to do this or you can choose not to do it. Yeah. I mean, you can – what's that old saying? If you make your bed, you've got to lie in it. That's exactly what we're trying to suggest to people. Like, it's it's entirely up to you what you do with this puppy. Like, everything that people say, even people who become very forceful and even very demanding – it's still suggestion-based only. You yeah. know, like they can jump up and down about it and get as evangelical as they want to get. But at the end of the day, it's all suggestion-based because you still get to choose what you do. Mm. So I too have done exactly what you subscribed to before where you go around and you do like a risk analysis on what they need to do in order – because you do have to change your life. Let's get real about this. Oh, totally. You do have to change your life. You are bringing in a – biological chainsaw into your house that has no stop button on it. It just does not know yet. Mm. And this is the importance of when we were talking about market training before and teaching puppies the basics and even teaching the handler the basics of understanding what a marker is, how it works, how increments work. And now I, you know, talking about becoming evangelical, I'm becoming really evangelical about sleep the importance of it. Now that I've read that book and it's terrified me about what you're actually doing to the developing brain, I'm pretty sure you and Jane have been very strict with Rip sleeping and, you know, the importance of his sleep as well. Mm -hmm. Conversations that you and I've had, even though I don't really have a big relationship with Rip, I've known him since he was in Jane's stomach. Yeah. So I know what you've done. I know what you've done to try and enhance his brain, not allowing him to watch TV as an infant because of the... Yeah, that was hard. You know, so we did two years of mm. no screen time, which meant yeah. we didn't have any screens on around him or anything. And I don't know if that was very beneficial, but I tell you, with a second kid, well, you know, you got a six-year-old and a 
baby. Near impossible. It's impo- oh, it is impossible. Mm. Can't do it. Yeah. It, it. It is impossible. And especially we lead social media and screens. Uh, that's life now. But look at his artistic skills and, and the way that he's really progressing on. I mean, I'm living through your lens of how I see Rip, especially the fucking dancing, which is hilarious. Loves it, mate, every day. Oh, mate, seriously, you've got to do more of that. I actually look forward to watching those little yeah. clips. Like, that really brightens my day up watching yeah. that kid do his little little Yeah, little I wonder dances. about putting that on my Instagram stories because I just don't know if people give oh, a mate, fuck. That, seriously, that is funny. Yeah. That's funny stuff watching Rip do that. I admire him, how free-spirited he is. Totally. And, he has no inhibitions at all. No. He just goes for it. Oh, like, he does a little bit. Like, I think if he knew that 10,500 people were viewing that, it yeah. probably might put a dent in it. But we were at a wedding a while ago and he danced the whole fucking night. That's awesome. right? The whole night he danced at this wedding on the dance floor. And at one point he was like asleep on his feet. And I was like, dude, like, just have a rest. And he goes, I can't stop. The people love it. <laughs> you even said my fans want to see me dance. Because, oh, you know, everybody loves watching it and they're like egging him on. And he's pretty yeah. good. He actually has some pretty good he moves. He does have some good little moves. He's, yeah. he's going to be a dancer for sure. Yeah. You know, I think, and it's really beautiful the way that you've raised him to be so empowered and free with that sort of stuff. Like, I really love it. Because I've had personal experience and I've seen friends who's, Parents have, from a young age, they've said to them, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that or they've made fun of them, which has stopped them from doing it. Yeah. Something that they would have expressed or shown freedom in or allowed them to do it. And this is part of that critical period of development that we're talking about. Like this is how passionate I am about it, not only for dogs but for children as well because you don't know how damaging it is during that young and exploratory age that when you stop and prevent things like this, like you often talk about, the, you use the phrase crushing the dog, mm. you know, like you can crush your dog, you can crush your kid with words or with actions that you don't intentionally do, but it's because you don't have any of this preset knowledge of how to set your environment up, how to develop your environment. And this is why I wanted to talk about this a little bit more because as it had me thinking about over the break when people talking about pre-development situation for bringing a puppy into the home, there needs to be more of this for parenting as well. People Mm. need to understand a lot more about not just how to teach their baby how to sleep properly and so forth, but how to allow them to express themselves. And I'm not talking about, you know, developing a little demon that just does whatever they want to do. Like you still need to be a parent and a mentor as you do as a guardian with your dog, you know, as you're, as becoming a pet parent, Mm -hmm. you need to be exactly the same sort of thing. You need to understand what the limitations and what the boundaries are and gently introduce them along the way. So as I spoke about before, when I was suggesting that you need to change your environment, you do need to change your environment. Your house needs to change. You need to adapt. This is very much adaptive progress that you need to understand that your known comforts are not going to be the same when you're having a baby or when you're introducing a dog. It's not going to be the same. Similar, but not the same. Mm. And you have to be comfortable with that. You have to be cool with that. Mm. Because the minute you start thinking, oh, no, I'm just going to do the same thing. I'm going to go out and hang out and do all these sort of things or not change my furniture slightly or make modifications or introduce baby gates or anything like that. That's nonsense. Yeah, that's setting yourself up for failure. Exactly. 
I've been to homes before where I've said to people, I would put some baby gates in here now because you're going to need to stop this puppy from just parading around the whole place because some of these areas like staircases and so forth, you'll damage, you'll cause ongoing issues, um, things that you you know that you would never want. And people go, oh, wow, I never thought of that. Mm. I never considered that I'd need to block the stairs off. And I said, well, I've shown people x-rays of what puppy's bone structure looks like and how disconnected it actually is from – from little puppies when they bring them home. And I've gone, I never knew. Nobody explained it to me. And I said, but that's why I'm here. Mm. And this is the importance of all this. It's like pre-digested knowledge that Mm. I can actually regurgitate to you and say, here's what I've learned along the time. And that's my responsibility to pass it to you to say, this is what good people have shown me before. This is how they've stopped me from making an ass of myself when I've had a puppy. Now, because I've learned this over a period of time, this is what I can pass to you. It's the mantle that I can pass along. And hopefully one day when you meet a friend and I'm not there or there's no dog trainer involved in it, you could say, somebody gave me some information. It's really benefited us and our puppy. I think this will really benefit you. Mm. And and once again, you can be the torchbearer. You can give that to other people and say, if you want it, here's the information. Here's how you can make your life far more relaxed far more easy and have a much better relationship with the new entity that's coming into your home. Yeah. That's the biggest part in getting a puppy. There's so much information out there for dog training. So much. But it's really a lot of it is training focused. And, you know, I'm the most guilty of this. Absolutely. I've got a whole online tutorial series on how to raise a puppy free Mm. on my website, right? Anyone can watch it, but it's real training focused, right? And management, and it has these headings, but I feel like what is missing, and, and it's something I've been trying to figure out a way to create, but I, I don't know how to sort of put out the content there adequately. But, you know, so for dog training in general, whether it's puppies or whatever, the first thing you, when you want to train a dog to do anything, you have these these easy headings. For me, the first thing you got to do is develop a way to reinforce a dog, right? So find something that the dog likes. Now, that mm. will be food, it will be play, it will be, you know, the types of games, the toys you're going to do. That's the first thing I do with any dog when I get it. And it doesn't matter if it's a puppy or an adult. The first thing I got to do is go, hey, what spins your dials? What do you like, right? Then I got to put a way to communicate with the dog. And so I've got to put markers in front of that thing. So I go like, here it is for free for a period of time. That might be with some dogs 10 seconds. And now I can ready to start loading the markers. And with other dogs, I got to spend time building it up and mm. figuring them out. But I put the markers in front of it and I go, okay, now me and you can communicate. I can tell you when you're right and I can deliver this reinforcement to you. And now I can start to show you that there's consequences for doing things that are wrong. I don't have to practice that like I do with reinforcement. I'm just going to use those consequences naturally as they occur. Yep. And now I have a way to communicate with you, a way to make you like doing things more and stop doing other things. And now I can actually start to teach you the things that I need you to do, right? Mm. No matter what they are. It's part of the engagement structure. Yeah, and mm. that's dog training. Yes. That's really just those three things. That's yep. all we ever do with dog yep. training. Find a way to reinforce the dog, develop a communication system so he knows when he's doing the right and the wrong thing and understands the consequences of both. Use those two things that you just developed to teach him what you actually need to teach him. Yep. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But I think what we miss, especially in the puppy development stuff, is the stuff that fits in between those headings and it's the lifestyle things because that's where puppies get fucked up. You see people, they go like, okay, we're going to do our five minutes training a day or, you know, three times a day. And they're slick because they've watched the videos. They've got the mentor. They've been to puppy class. They've done all the things, right? And it doesn't matter whose fucking videos you watch. They're all going to be good enough. They're all going to help, right? But what they're missing is what's happening the other sort of 23 and a half hours a day is that management piece and how you live with the puppy in that space. And what they're learning externally from you as well. Yeah. Because you can control 
what you're having an imprint on, but what is unbeknownst to you, as you said, during that other period of time where you're absent, you know, there is still education happening in your puppy's lives. There are other things that are happening. There's also hormonal changes that are happening in their life too. As I've said before, I'm not a parent. I don't have children, but I've been involved in the lives of so many people who've got children. I've watched them raise their children said very little about it because I'm not the parent. My own family, I've made suggestions on things that I think could help people based on what I know about behavioral knowledge and so forth, which I I really think has benefited them in their raising. But again, it's not my place to intervene where it's not really asked for. All mm. I can do is offer people suggestions. But I know people who have done all the right things have had really sweet kids, but then the hormones kick in and suddenly they change. Mm. And, and that's another area in dog training where people need to be aware that those things do happen. Our dogs are hormonal as well. They do have estrogen and they do have testosterone and they do have different changes that are happening in their environment. Sometimes people think everything was going really great as a puppy. Now, all of a sudden, I've got this juvenile delinquent of, of a dog that's changed. And yes, things do modify slightly during that time. And I, I think that the subject mainly here is talking about puppies, but it's also preparedness for later on in life when these things do happen as well. And if you've interlaced everything that you were just talking about before, like if you've developed that properly, your chances of getting through that are significantly better. Like the preparedness is off the charts mm. as opposed to doing a wish-wash job of it and then hoping for the best as you then get into those periods. You know, I've seen people go through a bit of a struggle with that juvenile stage where they start to get hormonal and things start to change and they're in and out of a few different fear periods. And people are really concerned about that. Like I've said to people, look, just try not to pay too much attention to it. Don't hold a light to it for the dog to then pay attention to it and think, oh, something's changed here. It's very different. I said, just endure it for the time. It's going to be maybe a month. You've just got to work through it and just maybe put things on hold a little bit during that time and just let it be. John Lennon said. Mm. Now, some people have found that very difficult. Sometimes people have intervened too much and they've, like I've said, they've held too much of a light to it and drawn too much attention to it. Mm. And then the dog thinks that's significant and then that becomes another behavioral issue down the track. Whereas when people have been more patient with it, they've had that early preparedness in place, they've got good systems, they've got nice structure, they've got a good relationship with the dog things are working well, the dog has more trust in them mm. and they have a better congruency in that relationship between the two of them. And I find that that is really important. Totally. I gave those three headings just before about- mm. Good ones. But what I found myself, and they're all online, right? Like I have all this information is online, whether people listen to the podcast, they you've bought my online course or they watch the free stuff or that, you know, they're in our Patreon and there's so much information. Like it's all there, yeah. right? That people get all that kind of shit. It's easy. That's the easy stuff to do what I've found myself pushing more. So like what I've found to be much more important is three new headings that are in congruence with the others. Yep. And the first is that I think with puppies, one of the most important things that you can do for them is make sure that they understand that they're safe and that they're loved. And I think as dog trainers, it's one of the things that we totally fucking leave out because it used to be, and certainly all the online content that's available is develop your markers and get your reinforcement system and start training them to do stuff. But if they're not safe, if they don't feel safe, they can't develop. Yeah. And we know that of like of human brains and, and all mammal brains. If yep. they're not safe, yep. like their primary motivator in life is going to be for survival. Mm. And if you occupy a lot of their brain's calories with surviving, then they can't do all that other shit. And mm. that's going to be their focus is just fucking surviving. 
So, you know, and it's a lesson I learned from Valerie and it, like I put the video on YouTube, it's actually the first thing I ever uploaded to YouTube of her when I had this little black Mally and she was like, it's a legit object guard that she does. She wouldn't let this Sharpay, it's on my YouTube video, it's literally the first video I ever uploaded. There's this Sharpay that wants to see this puppy that I had and the puppy's just being stupid puppy. It's like rolling around on the floor, chasing butterflies and doing its own thing. And this dog comes in and, you know, Sharpay's are designed not to be able to get a read on them. You can't read their body language because they always look the same. Crinkled face, the hackles are up and the curled tail. Like they don't give anything away. And it wanted to come and have a look at this puppy. We're at a dog park. Not a dog dog park, but a place where dogs are allowed, right? And Valerie's like, nah, you can't come in. And kept it safe, Mm. right? And physically blocked the Sharpay from getting near the puppy. The puppy never even knew that there was any potential for any danger to have happened, right? It was out there in the world doing its own thing. And she's like, no, no, I have to make sure that you don't have to feel like you need to ever protect yourself. You don't need to take that. I will take care of that for you because it's my job to raise you because she used to think of herself very much as that. And that for me was a really strong and powerful lesson where I was like, that's your job. When you take out a puppy, your job is to, or when you have a puppy is to make sure that it feels safe Mm. and loved. And then the development that it has, it can then focus that into the other things that we've already talked about. All the things that we as dog trainers think are important. If the puppy doesn't feel safe and it doesn't feel loved, it's busy trying to win your affection which you really should be giving to it for free, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's busy trying to fucking survive, mm. right? The chances of it understanding to sit and all that kind of shit, that's nil. Like, there's not going to do that because it's too busy just trying to fucking live, yeah. right? So safe and loved is the most important thing, I think, that you can ever give a puppy when you're going to get one. The next is to expose that puppy to all the type of environments and the nature and the world in which it's going to be later expected to live. Mm. I think that's probably one of the most important things you can do for a puppy as well. So you make sure that, first of all, he feels safe and loved. And then using those things, you take him to places where he's going to have to go later in his life, right? So that we don't spring it on him later in his life and go, oh, we've been keeping you at home so that you're safe, right? Because that's our primary motivator. And now- like surprise, you have to go to this overwhelming environment when it's too late, you're outside of your critical period of development and now we're just going to spring this on you. And you have no experience in it. Yeah. Mm. So keep him safe, but take him there and keep him safe, yeah. right? Expose him to the to the world that he's going to be expected to live in as he grows, mm. right? So I think that's really important and I think that takes on the form of advocating for your dog. I think that's what that, like keeping your dog safe in those places doesn't mean keeping him safe by not taking him there. Mm. It means taking him to the places where risk is present, but make sure the dog understands the risk is not to you. I'm, I'm here. I'm protecting you from that risk. And that's why, you know, when people, I've let people play with the puppy, I take her out, but I'm constantly assessing the situation where I am like, hey, I'm in control of this because- I don't ever need you to feel unsafe. If Mm. there's a problem dog that is going to approach us or a person or whatever, if there's anything that I think you're not ready for, you shouldn't experience. It's my job to intervene with that. I'm not just going to throw you in at the deep end. Now I'm going to let you do it like in small doses and I'm going to expose you to the things that could be dangerous, but I'm going to expose them to you in a way where for sure I'm in control. I'm not going to put you in the deep end, right? We just need to put a little square around that last 30 seconds, what you said, because that's the critical. Where message. I'm in control. Yeah. Yeah, it, totally. Not, not only the part where you control, but also the part where you're allowing the exposure to it. Like yeah. you're, you're bringing it to the forefront incrementally totally. and saying, here it is in such a measurable dose that you can digest it safely now. Like that's a really great message that you just put out there, you know, the advocation for not the overreach of love and protection, but the right amount of it. And I think having a mentor to teach you what that is 
we're talking about preparedness of having somebody to come in and show you how to prepackage all that in because a lot of times that message of love and protection and support often get muddied up into yeah. such a point where you're developing what some people in the industry call dousing them in cotton wool. Mm. We the go from bearing parent. Yeah, we go from one extreme to another. Too much exposure or not enough where really what we're looking for always is that Goldilocks effect, the just right principle of it. I love that message, what you're saying before. You know, that, that really had me captivated listening to you saying that because I think that that is a really essential and a missing point in the conversation that we do get so entwined in the development of the dog that we forget that, yes, you're supposed to love them and you're supposed yeah, to Yeah, and even safe. if you don't love them, you, you let them think that they are. Like, that's one of the things that I found – I thought of all this, you know, and I've got it all written out. And like I said, I don't know how to make the content around it. I guess I'm doing it now. But when we had Fred and Frank, the puppies that Jazz has, when they were proper puppies, you know, they're not my dogs, right? Like I love them in the sense that I love all dogs, yeah. but they're not mine. But every night I'd have to, especially Fred, because he's very affiliative dog, I had to go and give him a little cuddle and a tickle and I had to sit in my yard with him. And before he would go in the kennel happily at night, I had to give him 10 minutes of just us together. Yep. My dog's gone, his brother not there, and really, you know, give him what he needed, the relationship that he needed. Now, I can fake it. I'm totally capable of faking it, but he needed that, right? Mm. And, like, I like the dog, but it's not like he's not my special dog and he's never going to be mine, but I could give him, like, hey, man, me and you are together. Somebody cares for you and somebody is going to look after you no matter what. And that allows that dog to go, sweet, I don't have to worry about that, Mm. right? And it's the same. This is what's critically important in raising kids, where it's like someone cares for you, man. Like, someone is going to take care of all of your problems and when you need help go to them Mm. don't fucking stress over minor issues when you've got someone that can help you and I get criticised about that because people sort of say, oh, they got to learn to manage for themselves. It's like, man, they've got plenty of time for that. <laughs> We're going to do that in increments. Right? Mm. I don't need to overwhelm them right away. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, the critical period of development, yes, it runs out by about 16 weeks. That's the argumentable stage that most of our peers in science who have done the research have said – on a means average of all the dogs we've tested, and Scott and Fuller did this extensively, you know, and other people have looked into it, and they there's been no disproving science since. No one's gone, gone and said, no, that's not right. Everybody after them has said, we agree. So at 16 weeks, roughly around that age, we all agree that that's where that window closes on that extensiveness. But if you get your puppy, let's say eight weeks, even 10 weeks, you've still got six or even eight weeks of time that you can spend in incrementally developing that understanding of what the environment is and what the lifestyle of that puppy is. And even if you do like a limiting job on it, there's still a lot that you can do during that time. Yeah. I would try and encourage you, if you're a new puppy buyer and you're listening to this or you've just got yourself a puppy, I would try and encourage you to put a lot of the other stuff that you're doing on hold for the moment, not stop, just reduce it significantly and just think about this is a time now where I really do need to pay attention to what this dog is exposed to. And I need to do it in, in such a way. And some of your lovely points before about the care and protection aspect of it, but also the incremental development where they're taking the dog out to different environments, safe environments, Mm -hmm. comfortable environments, and gauging how their pup feels about that. You know, if there's interest and the dog is enthusiastic and is enjoying itself, well, then go along with it. 
But if you can see that there are areas of concern and that you've reached a, a threshold, pay attention to that because there's a message in it. It doesn't mean that every time the puppy is uncomfortable, you stop that immediately and just run away from it. It's that you, pay you help it, them through it. You help them through it. Exactly yeah, right. Exactly. And that's one of the things I think that sometimes in that, like we have been, not me and you, but I think in the dog training community, we have sort of been misunderstood that don't help them too much, let them get through it. And it's like, no, like I'm going to help them. Help them enough. Uh, I, yeah. If mm. they, I want them to know that if they need my help, it's there, but I also want to build them to not need my help. Yep. You know, I know that puppies aren't kids. I, I totally get that. But mammal brains kind of work that way, right? Like with parenting in that it's like, I know that if I need my parents' help, it'll come. Mm. But if I ask for them, they'll do it. But the goal is to build a kid that doesn't need the help, but mm. knows that it's there if they need it, right? And that's what I want from a puppy. I want the puppy to be like bold and independent, but also know if I fuck up, someone will help me, right? And the only way they understand that is for it to happen. And so I intervene and I like, I make a show of it. Like I will go out of my way with puppies to put them in a situation where they're a little concerned about something and then I will fix their problem for them. Mm. It's a theater, but I want them to see it so that they're like, Oh, cool. I can go places and I can do shit. And if anything goes bad, you'll help me in this situation. Yeah. So that, then they don't feel like that's the way to avoid aggressive dogs and sketchy leash aggression. Unpredictability, and, nervousness. Yeah. Well, because mm. that's a, like a, you know, a leash aggression or that leash reactivity type thing is a dog that doesn't feel safe, mm. right? And so when he feels safe, he's got no cause to ever do that in his life. And that's how you're going to avoid those issues. It's when you have a dog that feels unsafe, now he has cause to protect himself. But yep. when I show a dog like, hey, if anything goes wrong, I'll take care of it and they see me do that when they're a puppy, then when things go wrong as an adult, they look to me and they go, hey, fucking take care of this, yeah. right? And for the most part, I'm going to do that. I'm not going to send them out by themselves to just deal with it. And of course, I'm going to inoculate them a little bit. I'm going to expose them. But when it gets too much, I'm going to go, hey, I'm going to deal with it. And I'm not going to deal with it by running away. That's not what we're going to do. I'm going to fix the situation. Mm. And I'm always going to be able to fix the situation because I'm never going to put them in a situation that I can't fix, right? I'm not going to allow that to happen. And one of the things, you know, I was out a long time ago with a puppy and I had it in a place that was a, an on-lead area and we're doing some work and these people came over. And someone, like, long story, I won't go into the details, but... They were like, why is this dog on the leash? It should be off and it's a puppy, it should be around. And they went to unclip the leash. And so I'm like, hey, if you don't stop, I'm going to have to stop you. I was like, don't touch this dog. Like, And it changes. Like, We're talking. And as soon as I could see they were about to cause me a big issue, my polite, like, that stops, right? Mm. I'm like, hey, we're done here. You're going to cause a fucking lifelong problem for this dog. But what's important, like I could give two – that's a person, unfortunately, it's in my neighborhood and I do see around, right? But – that puppy learned in that moment that when things get out of control, the dude at the end of the leash takes fucking control mm. and you don't need to, right? Because that's what was going to happen. They were going to unclip this dog and it was going to go and have an issue with the other dog, with their dog, right? That was very clear. And I was like, no, no, I'm stopping that. That's not how we're yep. going. And my responsibility is to my client and this puppy, not to your feelings. I could give two shits about your feelings after that. Your feelings are very important to me. Not before that though, right? Yeah. Like this puppy is more important. Not so, while you're making a a, a critical a error that you think decision. is doing the right thing. They yeah. they thought they were doing the right thing, but it's yeah. like you're not. You mm. you're making an error. 
and there's one more to it. So like keep them safe and loved, expose them to the world that they're going to have to live within. And then if they are going to be a dog with a purpose, make sure that you imprint a desire to do that purpose while they're still in that critical period. Yep. So if they're going to be a working dog, like here's some rags to chase, man. Like just little some shit. some scent to sniff. Yeah, yeah. like just mm. get the, like don't close windows that you want open. And that comes down to a lot of management because you might be creating a fucking headache to live with. Mm. And I think one of the things that like I encourage people to understand about puppies is that just like kids, we start them out, you know, I've got a six-year-old and I've got a like six-month-old and Axel, he starts in a little cot that's next to the bed, right? Mm. And he's just gone to his, like in his own room now in a proper cot at six months old, we move him to an actual cot. Yep. And Rip sleeps in his own bed, right? Like he's got his own bed and can get up and wander around doing it. But he's earned that, right? Yeah. It's it's that's it's how progression. it goes. It's incremental progression. So Remy lived in the kennel and in a box. There was no fucking when he was young, he was a miniature chainsaw running around mm. and I need to keep those windows open. I need to have him happy to think that he can bite the fuck out of whatever he wants and I need him to be bold and I need him to like do things that are headaches yep. for living with so I just don't put him in a position to do those things so I micromanage the fuck out of him we had the baby gates we've got the case slept in his box at night I'd have to get up and let him out to piss through the night and all that continues and now at five years old I don't know where he is half the time, mm. right? Because I, he's earned he's that learned, freedom. He's learned the parameters of life. He's yeah. learned how to live with you and yeah. coexist in your household. And he learned that probably 80% through habit and yep. probably 20% through finding out the consequences, yep. right? So, like, the way he acts in the house is just the only way that he could for a long time. So, he's like, oh, this is just how I do things. And every now and again, when he's younger, he would fuck up. He would do something wrong because, he's you know, he has, has to learn and he finds out there's a consequence for that. And the yep. consequence might be, you know, you get put outside or you might get yelled at, you know, like whatever it is. Mm. But now it's at the point where – like I say, I often don't know where he is and he goes and visits the neighbors and it, like he, he hangs around out the front of my house and stuff like that. He has that level of freedom. He didn't start there. And I think that's one of the things that can be like most important to understand with puppies is that when we as trainers give people this real strict routine, you got to kind of remember to show them there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Like this isn't forever. This is just so that the puppy doesn't make mistakes. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't have any opportunity to make mistakes, mm. we don't have to show that there's any consequence to those mistakes, right? Because he doesn't make them. And that feeds back into keeping him safe and loved. Like I don't want to be correcting a puppy all the time. I yep. want to control him so that he doesn't do things that would warrant a correction until I want to, like I say, my hope is that he never does the wrong, like things, when I say wrong thing, I mean things that are inconvenient in my house, right? I want to develop habits that mean that he's unlikely to do them. Mm. And when he eventually does them, it's that he's old enough then and I've developed the communication system to be able to say to him, hey, don't do that again. And he goes, yeah, cool, got it. Yep. But if I'm doing that with puppies, I don't like, puppies are fucking walking disasters. I'm not going to leave the puppy loose in my house and just be like, good luck. Mm. <laughs> Right, and people do that, you know. It's like here's a puppy, like good luck. I'll see you in the morning, and then they wake up and there's shit all through the house, and the pillows have been torn apart, and they're like, "Oh, you bad dog!" And it's like he's not a bad dog. You don't know what the fuck to do. Put him in a box so that he can't make these errors. Oh, putting a dog in a box is cruel, right? And it's like it's like putting know. nappies on a child. Yeah, I mean, if you don't do that, then you've just got a risk that you're going to go in there and there's going to be shit and piss all over the place because they don't know how to control it. They're yep. still learning how to control their their body, and puppies are no different in that aspect. Yes, unlike a, a human baby, puppies can run around and they can get involved in stuff, but they don't understand that what they're doing is wrong. Yeah. Like they haven't learned the parameters of that. Let me utter a little phrase to you that you really need to take on board when you're thinking about this whole process. 
get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm. For that period that you've got that puppy, that's really essential that you take that on board because it is going to be a period of your life that's going to be an upheaval. There are going to be uncomfortable situations where as you're embracing change and new parameters are coming up and the puppy is challenging you, you've just got to realize this is par for the course and they simply don't understand what's right and wrong. The reason they're doing these behaviors is for some reason to the puppy, that's intriguing, it's fun, it's part of the juvenile or that baby period that they're going through of of that exploration of life, bumbling their way through until they start to realize what the parameters were. And you said it well before too, Pat, when you mentioned that you know, with Remy that you had to limit him on his exposure to some of the things in the household because you knew he was going to wreck them up until the stage where he understood what the parameters were and had no interest in being involved in chewing things. His his mouth wasn't changing, his teeth weren't shaping in his mouth or his jawline wasn't changing, his bone structure wasn't changing. So now he doesn't have that desire to want to chew things and grab things or even that a puppy's mouth is their hand. That's the way they pick things yeah. up. When you see babies and when you draw comparison, babies, when they start moving around and they can coordinate, they pick things up and put them in their mouth. And constantly parents are moving things, taking things away, you know, making sure things are left at a height where it can't be reached. Same thing for the puppy. You just got to understand that mouth is a hand. It's moving, it's grabbing, it's playing with things, it's exploring, it's feeling textures. That's its way of communicating with the environment that it's raised in. So, you know, you have to understand that's going to happen. So if you've got precious things and things that you don't want interacted with with the dog, then you need to intervene. You need to make sure that you're there and you're available. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. One other thing I need to quickly say on this is again, listening to what you were talking about before and all that developmental stage, every time that we've talked about anything involved with brain development, every person that we've fanboyed on or followed their work or read their books or listened to the material, everybody who's been involved in any form of neuroscience has always talked about how important that critical period of development is and even ongoing into the later stages of life because it allows for the brain to reach into realms and areas like the nervous system and the structure and the development of things like the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, everything. Like it's all growing and developing and coming online at later stages of life. If we're doing this right with our puppy, our child, whatever species it is, the access and improvement to regions of the brain and how the brain copes, how the nervous system copes, how it all integrates into the actual life structure and style of the entity, whatever it is. I mean, we're doing such massive development for later on in life. Like everything that we're doing is structuring that dog, that baby, that whatever it is, that anything that we throw at them, they might be fearful of it or they might be interested in it, but it will certainly allow them to be endowed with the capability to deal with it. For sure. And I think, you know, to that end, with a young developing brain, and mm. I think we have to be careful because sometimes it's helpful to compare puppies to children and sometimes it's very much not because they're, they're not, different species entirely. They're different things, but yeah. it, there's certain truths of mammals, right? Yeah. It's like when those two circle, when you see those diagrams of two circles and they're touching each other and there's like a little sphere between the two of them. Yes, one of those. So when you see that little window in between, they're two entities, there's two entire realms where they're not the same, but there is that little interaction where psychology and behavior can be accountable in the same realm. Yeah, totally. And I think that, like I say, what everyone will tell you is, 
for healthy, optimal development, safety is one of the most important things because that is what your brain, a mammal brain is geared for survival. If you take that off the table and go like, hey, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about keeping yourself alive. I've got that. Yep. You can develop in other ways. That's how you build intelligence and creativity and all those kinds of things. And that's how you build like that toughness from that dog. And it seems counterintuitive, but keeping him safe will make him stronger than putting him at threat because now his life revolves around solving threat puzzles rather than, you know, training puzzles and that kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway. It's time to wind it up. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Another episode. Mm. Counter paradigm. Yeah. If you like what you hear, jump into some um, reviewy things. Tell people about it. That's a good idea. Spotify has actually started to really encourage people to review podcasts and really? so forth. So if you are a part of the Spotify audience, if you wouldn't mind reviewing our show. Can you see what people download from? Does the stats show that? There is access into it. I should have. I'll start I'm looking into that. I wonder what people, what platform people listen to us the most on. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see that. Yes. All right. Yeah. Through Blueberry, who's our who's our media that yeah. hosts us. So far, most of the statistics of people listening to us are so on mobile devices and through Apple. Yeah. Good. I'm an Apple guy myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good to hear. But uh, there is an increasing audience in Spotify. So yeah, right. if you are listening to us through Spotify, Spotify is really taking on the podcast market. They do encourage listeners of shows to leave a rating for the show, and mm-hmm. that would be wonderful if you enjoy what you're hearing. Give us the rating that you think we deserve. Yeah. Mm. The other way is to just tell people in real life. Yep. That that works too. If you want to support the show, jump into Patreon. Mm. Uh, that's a great way to sling us a few bucks. That buys us the equipment and all the gear. The um, Gives you another year. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but you get us all of our – we have so many software things that keep this running – just the bills and software at the moment are like almost a thousand bucks a a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloody Artlist, Artlist, Adobe. So we got bills. Help us pay them. Yeah. Another way you can support the show is Teespring. Get some cool merch that helps us pay the bills as well. Mm-hmm. You can buy yourself some socks and underpants. Yep. If you want to get in contact with us, you can join the Facebook discussion group. It's Canon Paradigm discussion group. There you can group source some information. The other thing is you can shoot us an email. Now, I found like. <laughs> I found a lot of emails, so I won't bore you with all the details, but it turns out we've not been getting over hundreds of emails Mm. from people that, you know, I always say we got like 500 unread emails. I thought they were the spam. No, it's my, the thing was filtering out a lot of real emails and we missed a shit ton of emails. So I really apologize for that. And I'm getting, yeah, so sorry. I fixed that. And I replied to a bunch of people. I went back like six weeks and was like, oh, I can't go back any further. So I replied to a bunch of people. I was like, hey, sorry, we didn't get this. But yeah, shoot us an email. We are info at the canineparadigm.com. That's it. Goodbye.